This is the second Sunday in the church season of Advent. I'm not going to go into all the history of Advent and all of that. We'll be opening God's Word to learn how Almighty God chose John the Baptist to prepare the way of Messiah. This is a time of repentance, preparation, and expectation as we wait for Christ's return. You know, we're a lot like John in many ways. In fact, our Savior instructs His followers to reach everyone possible, teach them the truth, and baptize them in preparation for His coming. And I hope not to upset anybody with this message, but as a watchman, I must warn you of danger. And at this time of year, there is a lot of danger. Before we move on, I want us to pray. Father, we need You to pour Your Holy Spirit of wisdom upon us. Help us to discern the truth from error, and please open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Please block all distraction, Father. Please grant to Your servant that by Your Spirit, with all boldness, I may speak Your Word through the name of our Lord and Savior, the one we call Jesus, Yahashua, Messiah. I completely surrender to You for Your use, Father. Help me to speak clearly and concisely, and give me unction to speak by Your Spirit what each of us needs to hear. I pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Please open with me in your Bibles to the first, first chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And uh, if you care to, if you don't, you can look at it on the screen there. We're going to begin with verse 68, Luke chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1580 in your Bibles there in your seats, 1580, Luke chapter 1. And this is where we hear, you, you may recall that uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, had been uh, muted because he didn't believe that his wife was going to get pregnant because they were old. And the Holy Spirit loosed John's mouth, and this is what he prophesied. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear." in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And you, child, speaking of John, will be called a prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, which, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give us light, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Pray that God would add His blessing 
to the reading and hearing of His Word. This season, also called a holy season, beginning of the Christian year in most of the Christian church, except for the Eastern Orthodox Church, is a celebration as a reminder of what we believe. It's a celebration to remind us of what we believe. We're waiting and preparing for the Messiah's coming. This is what this Advent season was originally created to celebrate. It's been hijacked. It's been counterfeited. We're called to remember that followers of Christ endure waiting and we prepare for His return. But as I said, the enemy has hijacked this time, this season, and counterfeited it so closely that we can't tell unless we know the original. And I'm not going to get into all of that, but I have to say, December 25th was originally a pagan holiday, and it was taken by the Roman church, and it was brought into Christianity to quell down some of the problems that were happening between the pagans. They had a drive in the church to build the church. The Rome wanted to be the biggest church. They wanted to be the number one church, and so on and so forth. And so they were bringing in unbelievers, much like some of the churches today. Just fill the seats. When they adopted it, they used it to observe Christ's birth, which we know with certainty did not occur on December 25th. I'm hoping that I don't offend anyone, but that is the truth. They figured they could blend Christianity with pagan celebrations, as I said, to ease the social tension. And much of the civilized world now has gone back to the pagan traditions and the pagan celebration of what we've come to know as Christmas. Many people have learned to worship anything but Almighty God. We've gone to idolatry, and we don't even know it, and that's the sad part about it. That's the part that hurts the most, I think. It's the part that hurts our Father's heart the most, is that His people are worshiping things other than Him, and they don't know it. Forgive us, Father. We even teach our children to worship false gods, and we don't know it. Are we really waiting for Messiah's return? Are we really watching for Him to come? Are we teaching our children to wait for Messiah, or are we teaching them to wait for other gods? Are we too busy celebrating the season to teach our children to anticipate Christ's return? Because that's what really matters. That's what really matters to them, for them, in the whole world. This is the whole crux of our faith. Christ is coming again, and He's going to bring eternal life forever for all who are in Him, who believe Him, who follow Him. Sadly, many are teaching their children to wait for another. The Dutch called him Sinterklaas. 
In the second chapter of Revelation, we hear our Lord speaking to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, to the angel, and if you look at the root word, it's the messenger, and the messenger in the church is the pastor, he brings the message. After telling them their strong points, he tells them, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. In other words, you won't have light anymore. I'll take the light out of the church, is what he's telling the church, unless you repent. And then he commends them for hating the Nicolaitans' conduct. Who were the Nicolaitans, you might ask? We'll get there. Because he says he hates the Nicolaitans' conduct. He who has an ear, it's written there, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You overcome all of that, whatever that is, and you'll get to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. <clears throat> and then in his message to the church in Pergamum, he commends them for the positives, but then rebukes them for idolatry. In Revelation 2, a little further along, verses 12 through 17, he says, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And if you don't remember that, they wanted Balaam to curse the people of Israel, and Balaam wouldn't curse them. But then what he did was he lured them into sinning against God, which then brought God's curse upon them. See, he couldn't curse them himself, but he got them to fornicate with prostitutes, put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. And then he goes into saying this, and this is important, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And what is the sword of his mouth? The Word of God. Nicolaitans followed the doctrine of Nicholas. And the early church leaders wrote enough of him that we can know with some certainty that he was the seventh deacon chosen. Stephen was the first. Stephen, you may recall, was martyred for his faith. Nicholas, uh, contrary to Stephen, was not. We don't know about the other five. Or maybe we do, and I don't know. Or I don't remember. Then Acts 6.5 is where we hear Nicholas is called a proselyte from Antioch. He was not Jewish. He was Gentile. He was pagan. And maybe that's where some of his pagan teachings came from. We don't know. Nick was a hyper-grace preacher, according to the things that I've read about. And his followers held to the idea that's found written in Romans chapter 5. And we all hold to this, but we don't do it exclusively against any other teachings or Scriptures. It's written there in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace may reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so they thought that since grace abounded through sin, why well, sin it up? You get more grace. And there are people today who believe that. 
There are people today that live by, you can do all you like because Christ paid for it all, and you can, there's nothing you can do to change that, and so just go out and sin. I don't hold to that, by the way, and nor does Scripture. They ignore the truth that's found in Acts chapter 6, see, in or Romans chapter 6, I believe it is. Yes, Romans, not Acts. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And of course, Paul being Jewish, he uses that Jewish phraseology. Certainly not. No way should we continue in sin so that grace will abound. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the fathers, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We don't live in sin. We come out of it. He set us free from it. But the Nicolaitans apparently didn't see it that way. You know, Nicholas was being remembered in church liturgy within 200 years of his death, long before he was called a saint by men. The Dutch revered him, and uh, they're credited with beginning the gifts tradition that continues to this day. Only they started out with shoes. The children would put their shoes out, and they'd show some gifts in in their illustrations. They nicknamed him Sinterklaas. It's a shortened form of St. Nicholas, and that's Dutch for St. Nicholas. In this land, the mystical Santa Nicholas began gaining favor about 1774, and I think that's pretty interesting. It was right around the time of the turn of our country, but the Puritans banned celebrating him into the 1800s. There was no Christmas as we know it before the 1800s in this country. But even so, he's gained great favor in the last 200 years. In 1809, Washington Irving helped to popularize this Sinterklaas traditions and stories when he referred to St. Nicholas as the patron saint of New York in his book, The History of New York, and I think that's fitting. He's the patron saint of New York, Sinterklaas. As his prominence grew, Sinterklaas became a jolly god, enthroned all around the world, fat-bellied glutton, full of laughter and loaded with unmerited gifts. Just ask. Does that remind you of anything? Just ask. As followers of Christ, we're to ask our Father, none other. And we need not to be teaching our children to ask others in that respect. And I know, this is, I know, I know all the traditions. I know all the warm feelings we get at this time of the year. I know all of that. I was raised in it. I know. This is the, one of the hardest messages that I have to deliver, is to break all the hold that the lies have gotten on God's people. It's difficult. It's difficult for me. But I, I know that I'm called as a watchman to warn people of, of danger, to warn people of evil. And it's difficult, folks. I'm shaking up here. You don't know how hard this battle is. You know, the other night we were talking, 
On Wednesday, and Debbie asked me, she said, you know, I was praying, and I asked God, like, why doesn't John just go the easy way like everybody else? Why has he got to take all this on? Why does he, why? why?" And she said, because he loves God. I fear God. I don't fear an empty room. I fear God. I don't want an empty room, but I fear God. I'm going to stand before him, and he's going to say, what did you do with that message I gave you if I don't deliver it? Just ask. And not only that, this Sinterklaas we've called Santa Claus has promised to come back. But you don't have to wait too long because he comes back every year. You see the correlations? Why I say what I say about this being a false god. It's a counterfeit. But he's disguised in a red suit and a white whatever stuff that they put on this red suit. I'm praising God that the little ones aren't here today because I asked Debbie if they were to take them out. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to harm people. I want you to know the truth, folks. Unlike Christ, the wait is short. We've been waiting for Christ's return for more than 2,000 years as a church. This center Klaus God is all-powerful and all-knowing. He flies through the air. He covers the whole earth in one night, and He knows everything. He knows everything. Many sing His praises with hymns like He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been good or bad. Some of you, it's playing in your head, right? Be good for goodness' sake, right? Yeah, not for the sake of your soul. And they sing, here comes Santa God, here comes Santa God, right down Santa God Lane. Oh, that's right, they don't use that word God, they use clause, right? Whose idea was it to turn our children's eyes this way, away from the coming Messiah, even within the church? Even within the church? The last 50 to 70 years, maybe 100, I don't know. Finding the details on that one's tough. When did it start to change from remembering that Christ promised to come back to now looking forward to this uh, Santa God? Last 200 years or so. And for all of us, that's all of our lives. Our parents' lives. My German heritage celebrated this in a big way. I was telling Debbie, they put lights around the doors, and we were welcoming Santa Claus. As a child, I grew up thinking this guy was real. And like all of you, imagine that disappointment when you realized he wasn't. I remember there was a woman who was in her 70s, and she said, what do you mean there's no Santa? I delivered a message similar to this. In fact, the notes from this message I wrote in 2006, I've since revised them. She really believed that there was a Santa Claus. She didn't like me after that. Some of you might not. I I don't know. But I've got to tell you the truth, folks. It's so hard. And, And I find it funny how pervasive pagan culture has become in our society. We've gone back to the pagan roots 
Jesus said, let the little children come to him. And he said, unless we become his children, we would not see the kingdom of God. I didn't give you that one. Sorry. Does that, need, does that mean that we need to be teaching our children to be looking forward to Santa bringing them something? Does it mean that we need to be waiting for Santa to bring gifts? Or is it a call for us to renew our minds and to be patiently waiting for Christ's return? If we look at it through the biblical lens, folks, that's what we're to be waiting for. But who of us can wait for Him, right? Man, who of us can wait for anything? We wait in doctor's offices. After all, they're vital enough to wait for, right? We wait in grocery store lines. We do need groceries. I mean, we don't have time to grow them ourselves anymore. In fact, we've been taught not to. Discouraged from raising our own food. We can leave that to the farm workers all over the world, right? I mean, after all, they need jobs, right? We have places to be. We have people to see. Then we wait in traffic, especially when we need to be somewhere in a hurry. Isn't that just the way it is? We used to wait for good food as it was being prepared at home by our mom. Now we wait for the restaurant server to bring us the food that's been irradiated because it was prepared earlier and it had to be warmed up. Never mind that it was hit with radiation to warm it up. You don't think about that part. Home cook's been traded for just to add water, right? Everything's instant now. Instant everything. We used to cook our pudding. We used to bake our bread. We always peeled and boiled and mashed our potatoes. Tea and coffee and lemonade have become instant. Well, not here. My, unless we're out of the lemons, my wife makes real lemonade. She squeezes the lemons and makes real lemonade. And, and we like that. We try for our lunches, for example, to make sure that everybody gets something that's wholesome. That's actually what you could call homemade. Sometimes I guess the microwave's employed, but not usually. If the pastor talks too long, it might be necessary. We used to cook our oatmeal. Now it's instant. Boil some water, throw it on. Breakfast was something that we waited for because good food takes time to prepare. But then, Carnation designed... Instant breakfast. Sad milk. We get water instantly from the tap instead of having to draw it from a well or a spring. Nobody's out there pumping a well anymore. If we have a well, it's connected to an electric pump. All we do is open the tap. The water pours out. We take it for granted. It's always been there. It'll always be there, right? Well, not if we don't have electricity, folks. We get lights in an instant, flick a switch, click a remote. And speaking of remotes, we get all sorts of entertaining images brought into our home instantly, especially this time of year with Sinterklaas being the top drawing guy and all of his buddies 
and all of his related friends. I'm not going to get into all that. I don't want to break anybody's other bubbles, but even juice comes from a plastic bottle or a can. Most people don't make their own juice anymore. Who has time? Think about it. Who has time to watch the night sky for shooting stars? Favorite pastime when I was a child. Look for a shooting star. Something to talk about. I saw one. You know, Christ's going to come and the sky's going to open up and everybody's going to see that He has come. That's what the Scripture says. Maybe we need to spend more time watching the sky instead of the TV. Ooh, I know I'm stepping on toes. Who rises early to watch the sun anymore? When possible, absolutely. Who writes letters anymore? I was just speaking with the woman where we have our hunting cabin, and I said, you know, your mom and I used to write letters back and forth. She said, yeah, nobody writes letters anymore. I said, I know. We have email, right? We have text messaging. We have chats. We have messenger. We have all these ways to instantly communicate. Nobody has to wait anymore. They used to look forward to the postman coming because you knew maybe there'd be something in there for you, so you'd get to open a letter and read it from somebody. Remember pen pals? We used to write to people across the world. Anybody ever? Am I the only one that did that? Yeah, you know. There's no waiting for the postman anymore. And bring bills for all those conveniences we enjoy, like electricity. Who can wait for anything? Everybody wants it now. You go to the drive-thru, right? Well, you want to walk in the building for the fast food. It's got to be faster. Pull up to the window. What would you like? I'll have a number five. Okay, pull up to the next window and pay. Things have gotten crazy in that respect. We're not waiting anymore. And so how hard is it to wait for the one who said, wait? What hope do we have? Our Lord's been away a very long time, but those who are watching see that He's coming. We see that He's on His way. The signs are being fulfilled. The Scriptures are being fulfilled. And in this time of Advent, remember Advent means waiting, or excuse me, it means coming. At this time, we need to all be watching. We need to all be remembering. This is part of our faith. It's an important part of our faith. Hear what's written in Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And in Psalm 27, in verse 14, it's written, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I haven't found, I looked, I don't find any scriptures that tell us to wait on Sinterklaas or St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. But in Galatians 5, 5, it's written, For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And what is the hope of righteousness? Christ. 
And consider what's written in Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Don't be fretting about those who are doing evil. Wait upon the Lord. Wait and rest. Patiently wait for Him. This is what's written. In Hebrews chapter 9, we hear this, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this to judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. That makes my head spin a little bit. It says, what? To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time. He wants us to be eagerly waiting. He wants us to be prepared. That's a part of what this season's about, preparation, repentance, waiting. Will God who began this good work in us carry it through to completion on the day of Jesus Christ? His Word says so. There's another one I didn't give you. Sorry. Will all the people see the salvation that God gives? And if so, how? How will people see the salvation that God offers? How will they see the light? Will you shine it to prepare the way? You're called to. You're called to shine the light. You're called to be light bearers into this dark world. This is in our home. We covered that in another message a few weeks ago. The church needs to repent of idolatry and false teaching. I'm talking wholesale. You walk into a church and they've got this guy dressed in a red costume, greeting kids and giving them gifts. Let me tell you something. That is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy against Almighty God. Have a false God reigning on a throne in the building that's set apart for worshiping Almighty God. And I'm sorry if I'm stepping on any toes, folks. It's not my intention. I don't want to harm you. I want to bring you the joy of salvation. And unless and until God's church repents, it is going to continue to come under the judgment of Almighty God. Judgment begins at the house of God. This is what He says. We can't escape that. It's real. Church needs to repent. The time is short. And I have to ask, will we be found prepared and waiting? Now I'm going to wrap it up. And as we move through this Advent season, I want us to remember that we're waiting for our Messiah. Because the title of the message was, Who Are We Waiting For? Who are we waiting for, really? Who are we waiting for? Christ. Amen. He's not bringing gifts in a sleigh, folks. He's bringing eternal rewards, everlasting life. Unlike those gizmos and gadgets that will either be defective when we get them or fail in our lifetimes, His gift will last forever. And that's what we're waiting for with expectant hope, or at least that's what we're called to be waiting for with expectant hope. The one we call Jesus is the day spring from on high that's written of in Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79. 
He's visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, and that's peace between us and God. And that's the message that we share as light for this dark world as we wait for Christ's return, because it's Christ, God's Messiah, the Anointed One. That's who we wait for. And we have to keep reminding ourselves, and no matter what the world brings, we're waiting for His return. God's in control. All of this stuff that's happening in the world, it doesn't matter. Remember the song I sang earlier? Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in His hand, Christ our Lord to earth descendeth. Our full homage to demand. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We are not like so many who will turn our backs on Christ for another God. Help us, Lord, as we struggle to unravel all of those teachings that we've received some of us from childhood, perhaps most or all of us, help us to recognize that we can, in fact, live in fear of You, that awesome reverence that empowers us to overcome all of the things of the world. Help us not to ponder those earthly-minded things. We know that Christ our Lord is returning. Help us to remain watchful. Help us to prepare. Help us, Lord, where necessary to repent, to turn from those things that are not heavenly food. Help us, Father, to bring the light of light into the darkness of this world, that the powers of hell may vanish. As the darkness clears away, we pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.